Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Revolutionary Ideas, the monthly Marxist podcast from Socialist Alternative. Workers of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. These were the well-known words of Marx and Engels, famously contained in the end of the Communist Manifesto. This work, written in the 19th century, remains widely read, but not always understood. Often misrepresented and distorted by the capitalist class and Stalinism alike, it is more important than ever that we ask, what did Marx and Engels really stand for? As we enter the stormy decade of the 2020s, with mass struggles on the horizon, rediscovering the real ideas of Marxism is needed to prepare us for events to come. In this episode, our regular panelists and hosts Tom and Yara will be interviewing Sebastian Kugler from the Austrian section of the International Socialist Alternative. Over to you three. Hi everyone, welcome to this new episode of Revolutionary Ideas. This is episode 10. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Communist Manifesto, that classic work explaining the fundamental positions of Marxism. This was a pamphlet written for a wide audience in the 1840s, published in the 1840s, at a time when the world, in many ways, was very different to how it is uh, today. But as socialist alternative, as a socialist and a Marxist organisation, we would say that it carries a lot of very valuable lessons uh, for us, you know. And and in spite of the short size of the of the pamphlet, it's actually incredibly rich with ideas that we should still consider uh, to be relevant uh, to us and our tasks as a as socialists uh, today. So on this, in this episode, we're going to be discussing with Sebastian Kugler, who is from our section of International Socialist Alternative in Austria, uh, the Socialist Left Party. So first off, Sebastian, I guess I could ask a number of questions here and start this in many different ways. But really, I guess I could just start very simply and ask, first, what is the manifesto? What is the Communist Manifesto? Why is it important for us today? Well, well, first of all, thanks. Uh, thank you for for having me uh, on the, on this podcast, um, and thanks for the opportunity to speak about the Communist Manifesto. I think every Marxist <laughs> um, loves to um, talk about the the Communist Manifesto and its and its relevance. Um, the manifesto itself was uh, a pamphlet, uh, like you said, uh, that was uh, published in 1848, um, immediately before the French February uh, insurrection, which basically kicked off the revolutionary year of 1848. Um, it was quickly followed by the, the March Revolution um, in uh, here in my city, in Vienna, um, and all across Europe, um, revolutionary um, uh, movements uh, uh, developed in, in this year. So it was really a revolutionary pamphlet for a revolutionary time. Um, and so this alone uh, kind of uh, makes it makes it very important for for Marxists and the whole um, history of uh, of the of the labor movement. Um, Additionally, it was from its inception on an internationalist um, pamphlet. It was translated into uh, several different languages um, already, like uh, weeks after it uh, was first 
published. And it was basically the first real modern political program um, by, by the, it was written by Marx and Engels for uh, the Bund der Kommunisten, uh, for the Communist League, um, which was an international workers um, organization, the first really um, of its kind, um, and uh, which attempted to be a revolutionary international workers um, organization. And it's also just like um, impressive if you think that uh, Marx was 29 when he wrote it, um, Engels was 27 at that time. Uh, I turned 29 Wednesday, um, and I can't really say that I have produced anything of this uh, substance so far. So I think these are just, you know, just some points on uh, what the Communist Manifesto um, is and why it's interesting. Yeah, I think this is really interesting. And I, I, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about kind of like, I guess, the main points that come through, because I think both you and Tom mentioned how this is a pamphlet, this is meant to be a program for a, a, a party. So as a kind of, what, what does this platform actually say? Because uh, what, one of the first things that it, says, that it says in the manifesto is that everyone has been calling everyone communists, so it's time for us to put forward a plan. So what is actually that plan? Right, right. Yeah, the, they talk about the specter that is, that is, that is haunting Europe, um, which they are now kind of like want to clear up what, what communism um, really, uh, really is. And I think that's also a, a very important aspect of the Communist Manifesto because it's the first real public declaration of, you know, scientific socialism. There were lots of different socialist trends um, during that time, lots of different ideas on what is wrong with capitalism, how society should look like. Should we go back to feudal societies? Should we model uh, a perfect society? Um, should we know, uh, strive to convince the, the rulers to uh, be more generous and so on and so on? So the, the, the importance of the Communist Manifesto was to really say, okay, this is, this is scientific socialism. This is uh, um, uh, what we understand on, um, under communism. And it really developed the program of um, abolishing capitalism and uh, freeing society uh, from uh, the bondages of class out of the conditions, out of the material conditions that this society um, has, uh, has developed. So it's not just, you know, Marx and Engels who think we'd like society to be a bit more nice or we think that uh, society should look this way or that way and that's why we now write this manifesto. Um, it's more... And in that sense, uh, the, a real application of the Marxist method, it shows the contradictions of uh, existing society and it shows uh, their, their, their possible um, solutions. It shows that all hitherto existing society um, has been the society of class struggle and that the solution to the contradictions in uh, the capitalist society also lies within the class struggle of the proletariat against the bourgeois. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary of how Marx and Engels actually open up uh, the manifesto. 
I mean, there's that famous uh, line that you were uh, mentioning just then about the spectre of communism, the spectre of communism haunting Europe, uh, as he puts it, as they put it at the start of the manifesto. And I mean, that's a very famous saying now. It's very widely known that that is what Marx and Engels say at the beginning of the manifesto, but it's not always widely understood what it is that they're actually uh, talking about. So I think it can be useful to kind of go into that. What they're talking about is the, the prospect of the working class coming into existence, you know, an industrial working class coming into existence, and because of its experience under the system, its experience under capitalism, drawing the idea that you know, actually, we are exploited, but not only that, we can also run society. We have the power and the means to run society uh, and, to, and, to, and to overthrow capitalism, uh, essentially. That was something that terrified the ruling class in the way that someone would be terrified by a ghost. That's obviously what Spectre means, ghost. Um, but we should take that back a notch as well, because, um, you know, they, they, were, they were writing this in a period, essentially, of revolution or at least a period that was on the cusp of revolution. And they were also drawing these conclusions about how the working class can't find common ground fundamentally with the ruling class, with the bourgeoisie. And if it, and if it ever can, it will result in a, an act of betrayal uh, somewhere down the line. And I think there's obviously something very uh, valuable to take out of that. But there was another part in the manifesto, which I read just the other day uh, when I was kind of trying to refresh my memory a little bit about what it actually says but it's talking about how society as capitalism develops polarizes more and more along class lines you know these de- these uh, different layers of the of the proletariat by which he means the working class and the bourgeoisie by which he means the capitalist class developing into separate poles polarizing as the system um you know kind of like matures over time and I think that, you know, that's particularly important as we're in a period where we're often fed this idea that class is no longer important, that it's no longer a fundamental uh, dividing line uh, in society. But if you look at what's happening around us at, at the moment with the world under, uh, under the COVID pandemic, a lot of people are, are doubting that. And many of those who aren't doubting it yet will begin to do so. Uh, over the coming years, I think, and it's very useful to draw attention to these earlier, um, these earlier socialists who were drawing these conclusions all the way back then um, about how like society operates now, but also what we can actually do about it, and, and what section of society has the power uh, to change that. To me, that's actually the most fascinating aspect of the the manifesto. It's not just how it really how it captures the revolutionary era of 1848 but actually how advanced it is in anticipating the development of capitalism and the bourgeois society i mean they already show that the bourgeoisie um has a, a reactionary role in society at a time when i think most people would say, well, in the 19th century, capitalism was still a progressive force or it, it, it developed um, societies. It brought about like all, all these uh, uh, different uh, progressive um, elements and so on. And already in 1848, um, they show how um, actually the bourgeois rule is already a break on um, development of the productive forces. They, they show how 
um, the way the uh, forces of production um, are developed by the bourgeois is a one-sided way, a very destructive way. Um, even before the Communist Manifesto, they use the term uh, destructive forces instead of productive forces uh, when they talk about um, like industry um, under under capitalism. So it's it's absolutely fascinating how things that they wrote in the mid 19th century are way more like adequate now than than they were in the uh in the 19th century just think about like the the whole question uh of the working class in the times of 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 Marx and Engels was in most countries um actually a tiny minority a tiny quite homogenous uh minority of 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 factory workers um, and, and, and so on. I think the, uh, the reason why many people today like, might have the idea that there is no working class anymore is that the working class has grown so big that you can't see the forest for the trees. Basically, uh, now almost everybody <laughs> is in the working class. And that's why uh, I think you know, um, maybe some people don't, don't see it. But if you um, apply Marx's uh, and Engels' thought and, and uh, their analysis of the working class, you know, that these are um, people who have nothing to sell but their own labor, um, who work with tools uh, that they don't own and who produce things that they don't own themselves. Um, I think if you ask, you know, your friends, what they do for, for, for a living, or you, if you ask your, uh, uh, your friends how their jobs look like, you won't find many artisans or, or, or peasants or, or something. You will find people who, I don't know, work as a cashier in, uh, in, a, in a supermarket who sell products that are obviously not their own, um, or who work on a production line who build stuff that obviously they don't own, and obviously they don't own the, the machines. And so on. So um, really, the, the, the class analysis um, of the Communist Manifesto is today way more accurate even than it uh, was in the 19th century. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, it's a really important thing to say because that distinction between classes having the people that own the means of production or own what is producing and the people who own nothing but their own bodies and their ability to create labor is something that I think is very foreign uh, to a lot of like young people now because we always hear about the middle class we always have these like seven different classes that we hear about when we talk about class and the 2007-2008 the crash really showed that the difference is not how much you earn it's about whether you have the actual means to produce more of that value um and i think that kind of leads me on to the next question we talked a little bit about feudalism about that period in the 19th century where uh, there were bourgeois revolutions that tried to get rid of the remnants of feudalism in europe and i think what one of the most interesting parts of the Communist Manifesto, I think, because everyone talk, talking about communism, talking about Marxism, it's obviously that, like, it's obvious to everyone that Marxism is for the working class and against the bourgeoisie. But the Communist Manifesto actually makes the point: the bourgeoisie progressed history. So I was wondering, 
how does that work? How do we hate the bourgeoisie, but also say that they brought on change and brought on progress? So like, what is this progress that's talked about in the Communist Manifesto? Yeah, that's a very interesting um, uh, thing. Um, there, there's a, a, a great text uh, by the Italian Marxist uh, Antonio Labriola, who was kind of like the, the father of Italian Marxism, um, who writes about the Communist Manifesto, that it's uh, the greatest funeral oration or, you know, the, the greatest eulogy um, that he ever that he ever read. Um, because it praises the revolutionary role um, of the bourgeoisie, as well as, you know, <laughs> uh, declaring, you know, a war on it. And um, I think the, the main thing uh, the Communist Manifesto uh, points out in this uh, respect is that the revolutionary role of the bourgeoisie was mainly to unleash the forces of production um, to you know, connect the whole uh, planet into one world, really, and um, to really create the material conditions upon uh, which uh, a global classless society of abundance is even possible. That's something that you know, never existed um, before the uh, the generalized production of uh, of abundance, um, uh, which uh, the bourgeois mode of production uh, really brought about. And at the same time, like with all class societies, um, the rule of the bourgeoisie has become you know an obstacle to the development of these uh, forces um, of production, and. Again, it's it's absolutely fascinating to uh, you know think about that Marx and Engels write this in 1848, you know, at a at a time when you know capitalism in many ways was still in its in its infancy, and still they proclaim that it already is a break uh, on the uh, on the progress of uh, of society uh, and humanity as a whole. They write that. For many a decade past, the history of industry and commerce is but the history of the revolt of modern productive forces against modern conditions of production. So basically what they, what they say is that already, you know, um, the capitalist's uh, mode of production is a break on the, on, on the possibilities of uh, development for, the, for society. And they, so they talk mo- mostly about the crises uh, that capitalism Brings up, but, but I think um, if we look at today's capitalism, this is again even so much more um, accurate. We see how the enormous forces of production—I mean, things that Marx and Engels couldn't dream of in, the, in their in their wildest fantasies—all um, of the things that are now possible and what they are being used for. Um, we use drones not to, you know, make the life of people easier, but to kill um, each other. Think of the uh, trillions of dollars that go into military research instead of, I don't know, cultivating uh, uh, land and, and environmental programs and so on. Just think of patents and how they, uh, they slow down uh, the, the vaccine rollout in, in, the, in the COVID pandemic. Um, so... Again, it's it's absolutely mind blowing how this 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 uh, the productive forces are, are turned into destructive forces by the by the bourgeoisie. I think those are some really good points there, and I think also it's funny how um, you know the, there's this part in the manifesto 
where Marx and Engels are essentially talking about how the bourgeoisie, um, you know, while playing, um, you know, a role of holding back the uh, development of society by by holding back the ability of of, uh, of of people to to truly kind of free themselves and holding people in a state of oppression and exploitation but at the same time he's talking about how the the the, the bourgeoisie historically played a somewhat kind of progressive role um you know at least in like the development of industry you know the breaking up of feudal power and breaking up earlier uh, modes of production like feudalism that that came before capitalism and how that represented what was uh, a, a step in the development of history it's sometimes kind of a bit of a vulgarization of marx to say that he never um gave capitalism credit for anything historically but what marx and engels were doing was pinning down how um with the development of capitalist industry What's being done is a basis is being laid for the eventual overthrow of the capitalist uh, system. Uh, and I guess what I mean by that is like, it, it's, it's not for certain, and Marx never, never actually said that it's for certain that the working class will successfully overthrow capitalism and create a, a socialist uh, plan of production. Uh, because if he did believe that, if he thought that it was just an inevitability, he would never have bothered to get politically organized he wouldn't have been bothered to organize the communist league and write the communist manifesto he wouldn't have bothered with you know the likes of engels and other socialists at the time to organize among the working class to recruit workers to organize them and so on um so i think that's a very key point but also um when we talk about capitalism laying the basis for its own destruction look no further than the working class itself you know we're often told by the kind of ideologists of capitalism the ideologists of the bourgeoisie that uh, the working class is weaker now than it's ever been uh, in history but if you actually look at it objectively the working class has increased in society in the working class has increased in size constantly and progressively throughout time uh, and that's something that we really need to get at that there is a huge amount of potential power, latent power, that exists among the working class, both those organised in the trade unions and the different workers' organisations, but also those who are yet to be organised uh, as well. That's the most fundamental part, the sections of the working class that haven't been organised uh, and, and, and need to be. Um, and this kind of ties into a point and a, and a, and a quote that um, they, they, they come out with, which is about how the bourgeoisie, by revolutionising society, by transforming society, creates its own gravediggers. Uh, and I think there's really something uh, that can be uh, drawn out there as well. I completely agree. And um, But I would add that um, I think as Marxists, we should be careful not to think of the history of the bourgeoisie or the history of capitalism as this like linear line where you can say, well, it was progressive until the year, I don't know, this year or this day, and then it turned um, reactionary um, or, or, or something. Um, every uh, Actually, Marx and Engels are very uh, clear on, on this um, already in the manifesto, but even more so in, in later writings, that every progress the bourgeoisie has brought about was also an act of uh, oppression and barbarism. Uh, just think that, you know, the colonial expansion and like the world trade um, 
is the history of genocide, of slavery, and so on, the, the so-called primitive accumulation, you know, the, the, the birth of the modern proletariat, the grave diggers of capitalism, was an incredibly violent uh, process of expro uh, expropriation and, and incarceration even, like there were these workhouses and so on. The, the destruction of the um, house industry, like, you know, of, of you know, uh, producing um, at home, um, laid the base for the modern oppression of, of women and so on and so on. So I think um, it's not our job as Marxists to defend these atrocities in the name of, of, of progress, but on the other hand, uh, keep in mind what uh, the Marxist philosopher Walter Benjamin uh, once said about class societies, that um, there has never been a document of culture which is not simultaneously one of barbarism. And I think only you know, a, a socialist struggle, a, a social revolution that, that frees the world uh, from, uh, from, from capitalism can really uh, bring about a, a progress that is progress for everyone and not just for a few on the backs of, of others. Yeah, I think this is a really important point, and I think also it, it's I think it's really important to point out the fact that this progress isn't linear, and also you know we're, we're talking a lot about these contradictions, and I think that it's really useful if if you want to hear more about it. Our last episode, episode nine, actually talked about dialectical materialism, which I think really delves into. Uh, the way that Marxists see progress in society and the way that Marxists see how society moves on and uh, exactly that point about how it's not linear, uh, but it goes back and forth. Um, but I think these contradictions are kind of key and they keep returning in the Communist Manifesto and also in our everyday language as Marxists. You know, we just talked about how... Um, like you know, this this system produces so so much, but not for what we actually need. And there's so much wealth that's created within the system and the progress in technology. And but at the same time, the working class is living in poverty, and this progress is not benefiting the working class itself. And of course, how capitalism progresses itself, but also creates grave diggers. So I was wondering if you can tell me, if you can tell us more about kind of because. I think that the manifesto focuses a lot on that theory behind it, but it's it's a call to action at the end of the day. So I, I was wondering how how does the communist manifesto explain how workers should fight or can fight against the exploitation uh, within the system? Yeah, definitely. The, the manifesto is a call to arms. It's not you know a religious prophecy. Um, it doesn't say, well, communism is going to come either way and you better believe us um, or something. Um, it, all, it's, it already mentions that class struggle um, also mean, uh, can have the result that both classes um, uh, go down in, in, in ruin. And I think um, if we uh, think about the impending climate catastrophe, that is something to, to, to keep in mind. Uh, the revolutionary socialists in the wake of the Communist Manifesto uh, had this slogan, socialism or barbarism, uh, which, which really um, echoed this, this uh, sentiment of the, the Communist Manifesto. Um, so there is you know, a huge part on you know, class struggle and how, how to organize a class struggle in the, in the manifesto. And I think one very interesting thing is that it, the manifesto gives a... Like, um, a short overview over the, the 
hitherto like history of uh, of proletarian struggle, which you can read like as an historical uh, development, but also as a logical um, one. So first, they uh, they write about how individual workers fight uh, their immediate conditions. You know, uh, your workplace on on your workplace, your um, uh, you're furious about your living conditions. Um, you want to smash something up. Um, uh, you, you, you might even blame the machine uh, for for taking your job and so on. Uh, like the the Luddites. Is that did I pronounce that correctly? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, which is like historically even like the first. Um, and if you if you like like genuine. Uh, a, a worker struggle, but of course, you know it's it's, it's misguided. Um, so then they say, you know, uh, that these struggles kind of accumulate, become more unified, and become more and more. Um, uh, they they have the character of uh, of real class conflicts, and um, so unions, trade unions, are are born out of these uh, struggles as more uh, the more they are uh, collectivized in in a, in a way. Um, so, but but in the end, and I think that's a very important uh, point. Marx and Engels um, explain that um, every class struggle is a political struggle. So, in the end, class struggle doesn't uh, just mean uh, fighting in your workplace um, or, or or combining, you know, uh, trade unionist uh, struggles. But it's a political struggle uh, for power for the whole uh, of society. Um, and this means, uh, uh, like Marx and Engels say. Uh, the organization of the proletarians into a class and consequently into a political party. And I think that's um, the main lesson that the manifesto uh, has for us today. It's the manifesto of the communist party. And um, we need a communist or a, a workers, a revolutionary workers party in order to win the class war against the bourgeoisie. Yeah, I think those are some really uh, valuable points there. I think a slightly underrated part of the manifesto is where um, Marx is kind of outlining almost a bit of a blueprint of how he thinks that class consciousness uh, can develop over time, how that develops uh, into struggle uh, and vice versa. It's a very uh, interesting part about how the working class moves towards organisation. And he's essentially talking about how the collective experience of exploitation that the working class uh, undergoes uh, leads the working class towards further conclusions about how workers uh, can, can, can demonstrate that we do have a sense of collective power, that we do actually have power when we stand together and we get organised. That's something that is going to be understood by a lot of people when they're taking strike action, for example, when workers through their unions are taking industrial action. And that was something that came out during much earlier periods uh, of class struggle, uh, particularly actually uh, in England uh, with, uh, with, with the Chartist movement, the, the earlier movement uh, for democratic uh, rights. But also I'm, I'm thinking about uh, towards the end of the manifesto where Marx and Engels are talking about the abolition of private property, because I think that's something that can very easily get twisted and misrepresented and misinterpreted uh, a lot of the time, you know, particularly in how it could be represented as Marx and Engels saying that under socialism, nobody will have possessions, we can't have our own things, we can't have personal property, we can't have our own, you know, TVs or whatever. 
But Marx is clear in, in saying what he means by that, you know, that the ruling class will complain when Marx is talking about abolition of private property. But what he means by private property uh, is is the hoarded control that the capitalists have over society's wealth, over the, the factories, over the workplaces, over the places where wealth uh, is produced. And that ownership exists to the detriment uh, of the working class and to the working class's um, experiences and its uh, and its conditions of life. So maybe, Sebastian, you could say a little bit uh, to kind of expand on that, if you have any extra thoughts about what Marx means when he talks about private property. Yeah, definitely. So when, when Marx and Engels talk about private property, they don't talk about your toothbrush and they don't want to collectivize your toothbrush. Um, obviously, under... You know, under communism, there will be toothbrushes for everyone. But they talk about, you know, the so-called means of production, the things that you need uh, to create uh, uh, wealth, basically, uh, to create all the things that that, that we need, um, which are now in, in private hands and in actually not that many private hands. What Marx and Engels say is that the, this uh, the pri uh, private property uh, only exists because it doesn't exist for nine-tenths of the population. And they even foreshadow the uh, monopolization of capitalism because they, uh, they explain how you know, capitalism already in the 19th century was on the road of destroying, you know, the small bourgeois property, you know, the small business owner, uh, with his two or three employees and who is still, you know, who's not, who's not somewhere in skyscraper or anything, but, you know, who is also, who works with together with his employees and stuff like that. Um, this, like the, the petty bourgeois are uh, being destroyed by capitalism, you know, by, by uh, the um, innate trend of capitalism towards uh, monopolization. And so basically capitalism undermines private property, even, you know, bourgeois private property uh, in the course um, of, its, uh, of its development. And that's where, where, where Marx and Engels say that real, you know, uh, uh, real property or the real wealth for, for, for all people can only come through um, collectivizing uh, the means of production because the process of production the labor really is already uh, like globalized and collectivized. Everything that you know we uh, we work with um, like comes from all over the world, and then uh, is is uh, distributed all all over the world. So we have a, a like already a, a global system, which uh, then again um, um, is kind of like funneled through uh, private hands, which is completely irrational. That's what Marx and Engels argue against. Yeah, I think it's also a really important point when you talk about the way that the struggle is meant to go. Because if the capitalist system is using its international powers to fight against the working class, then it means that the working class has to fight on an international basis to topple down the system. It's not enough for one or like one uh, country or the working class in one country to fight against the capitalist system in their own country. And I think that is something that's very, very like clear in the Communist Manifesto. Um, and I, I just, I was wondering if you can very briefly, because we are kind of running out of time, uh, I was wondering if you can tell us very briefly about 
what what the struggle is going to look like according to the communist manifesto what how do we organize against the system how how did marx and engels say that in in the 19th century but also what are the lessons uh, for today yeah so what what marx and engels uh, say about uh, the development of of class struggle is that it has to be um, international. Uh, like you said, the, the capitalist system is international and that's uh, and the proletariat is the class without fatherland, um, like they, they say in the manifesto. So um, they can't lose uh, you know this, this, this fatherland is the, uh, the thing that uh, the bourgeois always say, well, you're you internationalists, you are anti-patriotic, you want to take the fatherland away of the people and that's where Marx and Engels say, well, um, the proletariat has uh, no such uh, no such thing. And the, what what they also say is that this uh, the struggle of the proletariat needs to be a political one. It needs to uh, be an an, an organized uh, one. Um, and that's why you need international workers' organizations. You need international revolutionary um, organizations. And the Communist League, which they wrote the Communist Manifesto um, for, was the predecessor of, you know, the, the later uh, socialist uh, and, and, and communist international organizations that, that followed. It was um, unfortunately destroyed by the, uh, by the bourgeois in, um, after the failure of the 1848 revolutions. Um, it was banned basically in, in 1852 and dissolved under under legal pressure. But Marx and Engels um, continued uh, their fight. They uh, co-founded the uh, International uh, uh, Workers' Association, the uh, um, the first international um, in 1864, I think, which continued where the, the Communist League um, uh, um, had to had to stop, and there's really a threat of international uh, revolutionary socialize, uh, socialists organizing in such organizations, um, and, and this threat leads un- uh, up to the international socialist alternative, uh, which we are all organized in. So. Yeah, thanks so much for coming to take part in this discussion with us, uh, Sebastian, and uh, thanks everyone for coming. Thank you for for listening, and see you next month. Thanks for this incredibly useful and informative episode of Revolutionary Ideas. Make sure you join Socialist Alternative today. Go to socialistalternative.net to see regular updates on our work and for cutting-edge Marxist analysis. Go to our social media pages. On Facebook, we are Socialist Alternative ISA England, Wales and Scotland. On Twitter, we are Socialist Alt EWS. On Instagram, we are Socialist Alternative dot EWS. And finally, on TikTok, we are Socialist underscore Vids. Thanks for listening and see you next month.